Doing things like the right or wrong way, I still believe it's between you and your creator, whoever, you and your universe. I don't think that we can police people into or out of doing things. I don't think that's sustainable and I don't think that actually creates change. For me, it's like, can you actually look, if you're gonna be using medicines, can you look at where these are coming from? Can you honor the people? Can you honor the truth of what's happening in our country when we say like, we love Canada. Canada's a racist country. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing how our indigenous people are, not ours, I can say that, you can't say that, but can we see how indigenous people are being treated? Can we see all of those things? I think it's just asking for another level of accountability and responsibility and reciprocity. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. Asha Frost is an Indigenous medicine person. She is a mentor, a space holder, and a seer. Her life work is to help connect you to the medicine that has always been within you. The spark, the illumination, the power, it's all there, waiting to be seen and felt. Asha carries a powerful message as a mentor, as a leader, as an Indigenous healer, as a homeopath, and as someone with years of experience working with clients to help them connect to their own lineage, to their own medicine, and to their own internal wisdom. Ash is also a powerful advocate for how we interact with Indigenous medicine as non-Indigenous individuals. She shares guidance and wisdom and insight, both in this interview and in her new book, which I'm literally holding in my hands as I speak. Her book, You Are the Medicine, 13 Moons of Indigenous Wisdom, Ancestral Connection, and Animal Spirit Guidance. Asha teaches you how to connect to that own internal wisdom, and she lends her own experience for that to happen. This was a beautiful conversation that connected us and found those unifying elements that enabled us to understand the power that we have uh, within us, the ways of thinking, the appropriation we have all experienced in various layers of our life that have distanced us from that internal sense of knowing, that internal capacity to heal. We talk about the importance of language. We talk about how to reconnect to those elements of ourselves. And we talk about how to have difficult conversations. Asha is wise, she is insightful, and she is tremendously experienced. And it is truly my honor to introduce you to her now. Asha Frost, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I love being here. I'm overjoyed to have the opportunity to have this uh, this conversation. I'm sitting here with your your book. And I want to share before we jump in, I feel like you're one of those relationships I have with this with this online persona who's had this opportunity to kind of cross paths with you at a distance. And I remember watching uh, your like just your whole energy and presence at an event that Jen Pike ran a few years ago, and you and I were both speaking. I didn't know you at that point. And I remember leaning over to the person next to me. I'm like, who is this 
stunning woman. Like you just had this graciousness and this peace and then this powerful message. And I was so excited to sort of begin this journey to watch your work and listen to your words. And they have have really had a profound impact. And so with that said, I'm wondering, Asha, if you can share with uh, with my audience, a little bit about your story, who you are, and how we got to this point today where I'm sitting here with your book open in front of me, your book called You Are the Medicine. Mm, gosh, what a journey. <laughs> Thank you. So I always like to introduce myself traditionally, even though you've done an introduction, just because it's important for my ancestors to hear that. So we So my spirit name, I have a new one, is She Who Walks with the Thunderbirds. And I'm from Cape Croker First Nation from the Crane Clan. And I'm on the lands of the Anishinaabe here on Wendat and Haudenosaunee peoples who are still here. I love to acknowledge the spirit of the lands here beneath us. So that is my first part of my introduction, I guess, of who I am. I'm a mama of two boys. And I started this journey when I was 17. I was diagnosed with lupus and I went on this sort of journey to reclaim and come home to healing in some way because the pharmaceutical things I was taking wasn't really helping. So that sent me to my first naturopath and who used homeopathy in a brilliant way. She's an amazing homeopath. And I was blown away by how energetic medicine could shift so much for me. So it just sent me into this sort of energetic healing realm and also opened me up to my own ancestral knowing, things that have been colonized from my being, things that I was really trying to assimilate in, um, you know, I was raised in Newmarket, Ontario. So I, I really felt kind of disconnected to those ways. So that lupus diagnosis opened me up to this. And then I became, I went to school for psychology, then I went to school for homeopathy. And then I had a private practice for 15 years as a homeopath which I loved every moment of. And throughout that time, I did a lot of training with different elders and shamanic practitioners and started introducing medicine work to my practice too. And then the book came about as this incredible opportunity from Hay House. It was a contest that I entered and I won a book deal. And the rest is sort of history. I mean, there was a lot of pandemic writing throughout that time, (laughs) which was really hard to get the book where it is now, but I'm so grateful that it's out in the world now. And I feel like I have no kind of control over the spirit of the essence or impact it's going to make, but I'm just grateful. I still getting DMs from people who it's like, this is life changing. This is so powerful. And it's that's that part's so exciting for me. What was your intention when you wrote the book? Because when you start off it and you, you jump into the beginning, look, we get right into healing around colonization and the world, the world that unfolded in 2020 and the, the, the sudden awareness that non-Indigenous people had towards the use of language and, and the way we just kind of, we had been living this unaware life of how our lives had impacted uh, the lives of individuals who had um, been on this land and part of this land before, before our ancestors arrived. And I really, I really appreciate that the book opens that way. And my question is, was that the original intent to open your book from that perspective? Or was that an evolution of, of the, the times and the, the opportunity to have a new layer of conversation? I love that question. Well, I wrote the letter that's in the book, Dear White Woman Wants to Be Like Me, was written before the 2020 stuff happened around George Floyd. So that was written 2019, the summer. And so it's interesting for me to look back because I think, I've been talking about these things for years. Nobody paid attention. 
I'd been educating. Nobody paid attention. Nobody really cared. And then I put that letter out there. And of course, it was like this big blast of like, I didn't know it was going to go viral. I just was just writing a blog. And then when it went viral, I was thinking, oh, this is interesting. I mean, lots of people were really mad at me. So they sent me these emails. My DMs were filled with whatever people just defending themselves. So I learned it was like I walked through a fire. That was like an initiation for me. It was an initiation for like how you use your voice and what could happen from that. Right. And I wasn't, my nervous system wasn't ready. I didn't have the capacity to deal with that. So in a way it was like painful yet also really transformative for me. I, I literally felt like a fire just burst out of me and um, I'm a new person after it. So then when 2020 came and everything rose up, I started to see like, okay, it was hard because I was like, I've been talking about these things for years now. Nobody's really cared. Why are people caring now? So when the book opportunity came about, I knew that this was my one opportunity to speak the truth, my truth, my ancestors' truth, the land's truth. So how is it going to use that? I wanted to make it that impactful, as impactful as I could. So I wasn't going to introduce that letter, have that letter as my opening because I was going to include it somewhere, but that's not where it was initially. And then I realized if people were going to come in and to use some of the medicines or be in relationship with the medicines, that there needed to be a certain boundary. And that boundary is that letter of like, can you hear me? And it's an invitation because all I don't, I don't say you can't use these things. It's an invitation to be in creation with me. And can you just hear them? And when the children were uncovered, that just brought a whole new layer of understanding, I think. I just wish it doesn't have to be that dramatic for people to actually start caring. Mm -hmm. Since you originally released that letter to where we are now, is there a different response to that message? Yes, I would say yes, definitely. I'd say that people are, because it's in my book, I guess, I can say I was kind of gearing up again before I launched the book. Okay, here we go again. And I realized, you know, we forget that our patients say to us or when we're sitting with somebody like, I don't want to go through that again. And I used to say, well, it won't be the same. Like, it'll never be the same because you built capacity and resilience and all of these things as a result of that. But I couldn't see that for myself. <laughs> I was just like so scared, like gripping, just like what's going to come my way. And there's only been a few things of just some things come in my inbox that I've been like, okay, I got to sit with that, shake it out a little bit, but nothing like that experience. And I think people are more open to listening. That's my sense, at least. Did you experience a sense of healing through that evolution? And even like feeling that increased sense of resilience when that, well, when you re-released or repackaged that message? I think it's just hitting me now that we're talking about it. I don't, I think when you launch a book, this might not be true for everyone because, because there is some controversial essence or energies to this book, especially based on who it's, um, who it's published by. It's not, Hey House isn't usually published <laughs> like, um, people of color, first of all. And then second of all, anything that's sort of out of the realm of what they're normally publishing. I think that just now, like I was probably in a bit of a freeze throughout the launch of just sort of waiting. Um, and that never happened. So yeah, I'm settling back into my body and I'm rooting back in feeling like, okay, there's healing here. And I can always validate and see how people, you know, I can feel people's hearts. I can feel people's intentions and them wanting to do good things and wanting to do the right thing. So that has definitely shifted. I feel that way more now. There's a relationship between sharing your medicine and then uh, receiving the medicine at the same time. Mm. What do you want people to know? about receiving the medicine. How do you do that? I think that there is, even with powerful intentions, I think 
I think people have a hesitation to make sure that they are receiving it the right way. Mm -hmm. And I know even that, I don't even mean for that language to be triggering. I just think that that is the lack of language around how we find common. We all approach things with our own, with our own language. And what we don't have is like an interlanguage language. And that is a message I hear from people all the time. They're like, oh, well, I, now I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to receive. And so I, I would love to give people some guidance on how to receive because this whole idea that we are the medicine and the medicine is inside of us is, is like something everyone needs to know and feel it was a huge part of my work as a clinician. But I would love to set the groundwork on how, uh, how we also receive that. I think it's such a broad topic and big topic. And I think part of the confusion perhaps is that there's so many differing opinions on this and that I only speak for one indigenous voice. And I think that that's hard because I think that at times we want, we want people to be a monolith. We want to be like, this is the right way. Everybody thinks the same way. Yeah. This is the rule. This is right and wrong. And I just don't think it's that binary. I, I think there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of nuance, but that truly is my own lens of how I speak to these things. Doing things like the right or wrong way, I, I still believe it's between you and your creator, whoever you and your universe. I don't think that we can police people into or out of doing things. I, I don't think that's sustainable and I don't think that actually creates change. For me, it's like everything I wrote in the book, like, can you, can you actually look if you're going to be using medicines? Can you look at where these are coming from? Can you honor the people? Can you honor the truth of what's happening in our country when we say like, we love Canada. Canada's a racist country. Like, are you seeing that? Are you seeing how our Indigenous people are, not ours, that I can say that, you can't say that, but can we see how Indigenous people are being treated? Can we see all of those things? I think it's just asking for another level of accountability and responsibility and reciprocity. And, you know, only you know in your heart if you're in, in your integrity. Like, nobody, people will always say, like, you're not in your integrity, you are. Like, people will judge you no matter what, right? People judge me and how I'm sharing this with the world. Like I have Indigenous people who are angry at me for sharing this in this way. And then I have um, non-Indigenous people who are angry too. So it's like you have to stand strong in who you are and only you will know if you're walking in right relation. That's my sense at least. I mean, it's always good to have checkpoints and asking people. I wish I could give you a, this is how you do it the right way, check, check, check. But I just think it's more, it's more complex. I actually just love that you said <laughs> People are going to judge you no matter what. I feel like this is just a universal human experience. Mm -hmm. And we go to such lengths to ensure we are not in a position where we feel judged. And wow, it's just like, it's, I feel like it's just like you can get on also the super highway of progressing and moving through life if you actually just reconcile the fact that, you know, be in your own integrity. And also you're going to have to deal with this thing. It's part of showing up, it's part of showing up in the world that that's going to, I'm going to happen. In fact, I think that's probably part of all of our healing as humans uh, and our opportunity to live those lives. So I, I circled it on my paper because I was like, this is, I could be having any conversation with any entrepreneur and this is going to be universal advice. You're, you're going to get judged and things are going to be hard no matter what. Yes, especially if you're doing, I don't want to say big things, but if you're making an impact, like sure. you are, you've got that force behind you. That force is either going to blast through, it's going to be that fire. It's, it's going to do something. Force of nature's do something. And I think that we are for all forces of nature. And then if we're actually like turning on that light within us to be that big force, it's going to shift something for people. So it's actually a blessing to be touched by that in any way. And sometimes it means triggering people. It's okay. Let's, let's, let's leave, let's like jump into this. Let's jump into this idea. When you talk about this idea that you are the medicine, what do you mean? 
because this is a concept for so many people. Medicine has always been external. It's been something mm-hmm. that happens uh, to us. I watch this happen every single day. We over-index the externalization of medicine and have zero recognition of our body's capacity to heal. What do you mean by that? This is where I think that we've all been colonized, you know, like people of color speak about colonization, but I think we've all been colonized in different ways where we've been disconnected from spirit, even our bodies, you know, it's just like this disconnect is so big. And that's one of the biggest intentions of my book is reconnection, which seems so simple, but we all need it. So you are the medicine came. It really comes from my work as a homeopath, I think, because I would see folks sit in front of me and they, I could see their vital force like beaming at me, you know, even if they're like, I have this, this, and this, I have this, I'm, this is wrong with me. This is wrong with me. I could hear or sense the energetic component of their vital force. And I was like, oh, but you have this medicine too. We just need a catalyst. We just need a reminder. And of course, like, how can we come back into that even sensation in the body, which homeopaths, that's what we'd ask. And people would be like, what do you mean? I've never been asked that before. I've never understood. What do you mean? So I think that's where it came from, where I could see people's medicine being turned on, lit up by these amazing pellets, right? That were just energy coming in to remind that person who they truly were. And it's like an, un- it's like an unraveling, like that onion coming apart of like coming home to that truth. Because I think as children, we know we have medicine. We know that our sparkle lights up the world. And somewhere along the way, that just gets so smushed out of us. So the- it really does come from that homeopathic perspective. And then the other folks that sat in front of me, I would see their gifts there their beauty, like all of this amazing things that they couldn't see anymore. And so that phrase, you are the medicine just comes home to like, what is your power and presence that you are meant here to shine in the world? Because I guarantee each and every one of you has it. And it might not be like this huge thing, like writing a book or, you know, it might be that you're sitting in front of somebody and they can share their heart with you. I think that's medicine. So it's a really, I don't know, it's a really important part of how I interact in the world. How do we lose this? What happens to us that we that we lose access to this piece? Some people retain it. Like some people you can mm. give them a remedy and you can, they're just like, they're like, oh yeah, I remember. And other people, there's, the, the onion is thick. <laughs> as a homeopath, that was like the least elegant use of words, but as a homeopath, like what, what distinguishes those, those individuals? Oh, I love that. I think from like a spiritual perspective, it might be an old soul thing. Like I, I'm curious if it's like somebody who's lived a lot of lifetimes and has this innate wisdom that it's a little bit of an easier pathway to return back to, oh, I know this, you know, I know I have this wisdom within me. Not to say that the thick people, you know, are like less, less souls. <laughs> that like, I just, I do think that when you meet an old soul, you know that presence and you can feel that. And I do think that there's something, something to that. Sometimes I think it's layers of trauma where there's been no space held. So I, I wonder too about like, I think trauma becomes so rooted in the body when there's not an outlet or a space for witnessing. So I'm curious about that if there's not been a witness to trauma and if that has caused more like sticky layers that aren't able to kind of shake off a little bit. I wonder even about like play, like being a child and being allowed to play or feeling safe. You know, they say our primary um, role as parents is not to create happy children. It's that safety is so important. And I do believe like 
having safety in some way as a child or growing up in some way is a really important part of that. So those are the first things that come to my mind. What do you mean by witnessing trauma? And my context for this is we've actually just finished a series of episodes talking all about trauma from a variety of different perspectives. But I'd love to hear when you when you use that term witnessing trauma, like what you're referring to specifically. Mm, it's interesting. I'm taking this training right now with my therapist, David Bedrock, and it's we've been talking about trauma a lot. And it, it's so simple that when something happens, even for a child, you think that you might not think it's traumatic. But for them, it's, it's, it's like really, really hard for them. It's just that simple, like, I see you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Tell me about that. Tell me about your experience. And so many of us never had that. We don't to this day. We get gaslit. We get, it gets bypassed. You know, we don't have that somebody to say, like, tell me about that experience for you. And I believe that if we had that, um, for all of the things that come up for us, the world would be different. So. Yeah, it could be so simple yet. I don't know. I think we make it complex. It's interesting you say that one of the um, interviews we had was with a man named John Jackson, and he spent 18 years in, uh, in a penitentiary in the United States. And I said, if you could change one thing about the U.S. judicial system, what would it be? And he said, every corrections officer would actually be a trauma therapist. There was just so much packed in that one statement, but it was, it was really powerful. Um, just talking about how we bounce this trauma off of one another, that lack of acknowledgement. What does this mean? Because we haven't talked about this in our series. What does that lack of witnessing have to do with, or does it, with intergenerational trauma? And what is that? Goodness, I think it has everything to do with it. Because even like, even now, Indigenous people are feeling the impacts, the ripples of that trauma. And it's just this invisibility core wound of Indigenous people on Turtle Island is a thing. It's a real thing. And I see it all the time in my own life experience. And then of all of my kin in so many ways, like intergenerational trauma, I think, I think it is a lack of a witness. So with regards to residential schools, it's all these children going through this, these nuns and these priests doing these things. And the children had nobody to really share. Like, you know, I was beaten, my hair got cut short, like my connection to my medicines and my spirituality was like, was, you know, my language, it was all taken away from me. Like, who are they going to tell that to? Their parents knew because they were taken away, but like then where does that go? All of that stuck energy and the impact of that from a very like, I don't know, a very like practical level. If all that is stripped away, then how, how is the next generation going to reclaim that? That is what I speak about in my book too. Like you have to see that this was illegal for us to practice. It was stripped away from us. And then we see you practice these things, things with ease and just taking them but you're not acknowledging any of that trauma. So that's a lack of witnessing. It's a lack of witnessing not to say like, oh my goodness, Indigenous people are invisible. Oh my goodness, Indigenous people don't have clean water. Oh my goodness, they don't have access to menstrual products. Like all of that is a lack of witnessing or people are like, oh, it's not that bad, get over it. That is re-traumatizing. And that happens every single day to us in all the ways. Does this intergenerational trauma have an endpoint? Is there a way to heal it? And here's my context for this. My, uh, my husband is Jewish. I'm not. That is part of my kid's ancestry. And it was really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know a lot about the intimacy of Jewish traditions until I married my husband. And now it's, it's a huge part of our family and of our lives. And the, the thing that I, I witnessed in this, and it wasn't my experience, but I witnessed it, was just how much trauma was held in those 
traditions. And what I became curious about, certainly not thinking I can fix it, but just curious because I am the parent of these kids who are, are inheriting a part of this is how do we, how do we start to change course? Like what, what can I do? What conversations can I have so that there's a realignment of that trauma? Maybe it doesn't happen right now, but I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Like how, how do we acknowledge that? I don't want to fix it. I don't want to be like, it's, it wasn't so bad. Lots of bad, lots of bad on all of, on all of the sides. Mm -hmm. Where do we go with that? My, my kids are Jewish too. I'm Jewish actually. So I understand that it's, it's a lot. I mean, I see that trauma coming out of my children, which I write a story about in the book that, um, I think there's that Holocaust trauma. Like my husband's grandfather was in the Holocaust. Then his other great grandparents were in residential schools. So he's got this like massive combining of trauma. They both right. do. So I think that the witnessing is really important. I also think like the truth, you know, people are like, how do we make this age appropriate? Our children are so wise. And I don't actually believe that. I mean, I don't believe we have to really like sweeten it down to anything. I think that I, I bought them books a long time ago about the Holocaust, you know, like children's books so that they would hear and actually read because they will have dreams anyways. They will have visions anyways. They will know the stories in their bones anyways. So how can we presence it and make it a conversation? I think that's really, that's part of the witnessing. I think I do believe that we can heal this. It's my life work to do this so that my, my children's descendants don't have the same trauma that I held in my body, but I do see it in my children. And it makes me sad sometimes thinking, I don't want that to have leaked out into that generation. But I think that we are the cycle breakers. You can be a cycle breaker for your kids, even though you're not Jewish, you know, and I think that that witnessing is so important, but they need to know the truth. And I think that sometimes we just try to keep them from the truth and I, they just know it anyways. They do know it anyways. And you're right. They can feel it. Well, it's in them. That story is in them. How do we connect to this part of ourselves? I think there's a lot of people going, yeah, you're right. The medicine is in me. And now what? What is that next step? How do you help people access that piece? My favorite way is through journeying. And it's just because that's the way that I've done it so many times in circle and workshops. And I believe that part of the issue is like we're so externally focused. Our eyes are open. And I notice like when we can close our eyes and get into that internal space. And I'm not, you know what? I'm not a meditator that I can sit there for 30 minutes in silence. That's just not my way. But if I do a journey, it's like spirit brings me all of the messages. So that is the way that I've used in my private practice where it was just like, let's do a shamanic journey. And they always have the answers. Like even if I have to sit and like for, I see, you know, I see spirit, I see the animal spirits and things for them. But when they get their own answer, it's so potent. And I've served thousands of people like this. I've done hundreds and hundreds of healing circles. And every single time people see, they have an understanding, they have a knowing inside of them. So journeying is one of my favorite ways. But then with regards to like connecting, like I think it's like somatic things, like placing your hands on your heart, taking a breath, like getting back in our bodies and, and out of our minds. That's something that I notice people have the biggest struggle with. Like they're trying to think themselves out of something and that's not how we're going to heal. We can't heal with our minds. We have to get in our bodies. So those somatic practices, getting your bare feet on the earth, I think connects you to your medicine. I love to have like an image. I have this artwork by these two favorite artists I have. So I have this like energy of like who my medicine self is. And I try to step into her every day. So just there's like energetic practices you can do to activate that. And then remembering what you love to do as a child. Like I think our child selves bring us so powerfully back to 
that's that initial spark we carried, even if there was trauma there, at some point that spark was still there. I guarantee it. So doing some work with your child self, I think is so powerful and connecting to that medicine because if you know, if you have children around you, their, their gut feelings and knowings are so powerful. And if you, you have that too, I think it's just like remembering and it's not your fault. Like that's one thing I, I just feel like people, we shame ourselves. Why am I not able to do this? What's wrong with me? How come I'm in my mind so much? It's because like the patriarchy, the systemic, everything has like taken over those parts. So lots of compassion. I was like, let's talk about, let's talk about the patriarchy and its influence on our ability to access healing for ourselves. I feel this very strongly. I feel this very strongly in our, in our system of medicine. I talk about this idea of the line of fine and the line of fine is the line that this traditional medicine system has defined as the standard and it's where we all get dumped on the backside of that system. And what happens is we drop people at the line of fine and we're like, come back if you dip below it again. But best of luck as you carry forward. We don't we don't arm people with anything. This is where I feel like your work, like your book, if everyone got a copy of your book while standing on the line of fine, everything would start to shift. Where else do you witness the influence of, of the patriarchy as it were? on our our healing on our healing norms and our experiences that we have in our society. Oh my goodness, I just saw something on Instagram yesterday and it was really sort of triggering for me to read through because it was kind of it was dissing homeopathy, EFT, like all these things and I was just thinking like to me it was like a patriarchal white supremacist view of like it just it felt very colonizing to me like almost like it's a missionary saying your dreams don't matter. Your, your intuition doesn't matter. Like all of these things are not proven by science. Basically any indigenous ways of knowing and being, we're just going to push them over there because a white male scientist has not approved this as like, as I don't know, acceptable or it's not verifiable in the ways that they have <laughs> said this is, this is truth. So <laughs> I think it's everywhere. And sometimes, sometimes it still shocks me. I think it's, all of those, all of those ways that just connect us from, even from our intuitive knowing, even from our like, we know that we know, you know, we have those synchronistic, we, we use magical, but it's not magical. It's just us being connected. I want to say to that almost indigeneity of like, of connecting to the earth, connecting to everything, all of creation as one, like this is a really important part of our way of being. Can we return to that? And it's really a disconnection from the land because if, if you're not connected to the land, you're disassociated from it. And then where are you going to try to find co connection, I think? And that's what I feel is, is one of the biggest, the biggest things right now. So I see it more as colonization. The patriarchy is another layer of that for sure <laughs> in so many ways, but we've all been colonized and it's been really harmful. I, I appreciate you saying that. And as soon as you said white male approved, I was like, oh. I, I resonate, I resonate strongly with that, uh, with that energy. And it was interesting. I was sharing with you before we started, I just came back from, uh, 10 days in Costa Rica and I was so profoundly affected by just being in the jungle and being in nature and disconnecting from the messaging of the world. It started to shift so many things. And I was sitting there one night staring at the moon and someone said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm just, I'm just struck that 
this is of all the changes that are taking place and, and all of the complexity in our world, there is something simple and healing about staring at the moon and recognizing this is the same moon everyone has stared at. Everyone has stared at while they are pondering how they want to have impact, how they want to heal, what they want their legacy to look like, how they want to raise their children, how they are planning their war. It's the same consistent uh, moon. And you talk about the idea of the moon in your, well, it's not the idea. You talk about the moon in your, in your book, different types of, different types of moons and cycles. And I'm wondering if we can start to unpack that a little bit. Why is the moon so important to that notion of, of healing? I think that even what you just said, like that's decolonizing, right? The way that we show up in the world, it's like, it's right there. She's right there. And I, I do refer to her as grandmother moon. That's my understanding of who she's always been in my teachings, but she's always informing us about our inner cycles. She's always drawing on our waters. You think about how she moves the tides, like we have tides within us and she's always communicating with us, but we have been colonized to just not be connected to that. Um, yet she's doing it anyways. So it's like we can choose to go with those that cyclical nature or we can just close our eyes to it, but it's going to happen anyways. Then we're going to suffer and struggle because we're just like, what's happening to me? I think cyclical nature of the moon is even like a, how Mother Earth moves through her cycles. It's such a beautiful way to live our lives out if we just trust there is a season for everything. And I know the seasons of death and destruction and then rest are the hardest, for, especially for people who are high achieving beings, they are the hardest, but the moon cycles through those times too, right? So I think we can't be in that full, like have that brightness in the sky all the time. She has value in all the other cycles and we do too. And it's so, it's such a big part of my book, um, acknowledging that. And I'm always kind of blown away that people, even in connection, I write about this connection to our menstrual cycles. Like, that was something my mother taught me. It was like in indigenous ways, like we are powerful during that time. That is what's taught to us. We are creators. We are like the holders of creation. And that has been colonized out of us too. But that was always a part of my sacred knowing. And knowing that throughout my lifetime, I think has really served me to like root into who I am and my power. What has that knowing actually shifted for you in terms of health around the menstrual cycle? I feel like a huge part of the pervasiveness of endometriosis and PCOS is this messaging you see from a child of like the language we use to describe one's period. I remember as a kid, a doctor telling me, oh, you're just going to take the birth control pill continuously. It'll be great. Then you never have to get this awful thing again. Like, I mean, I was young. Like I hadn't, there was no alternative experience or language to describe one's menstrual cycle. I feel like this has a huge influence on its disease status now what's your feeling on that or your experience as a healer with that yeah it makes me so sad about that i think and i think that's one of that's one of the ways the patriarchy has has impacted us i think it's like again as indigenous people we believe like this we can't even touch medicines during that time because that's how powerful we are so imagine every young um girl knew that like this is, this is a thing of power. You are a creator. This, your womb is a creation space. Like, I just wonder how that would change the narrative instead of like, you're right, instead of like, it's a painful time, we'll just take hormones to make it just disappear. And like, I, I get so sad still hearing those stories. And again, it's about disconnection. They are trying to disconnect us from our power. And it was kind of successful for so many because 
Think about what we're still dealing with. And people are just starting to come around with education. That's my sense, at least. That, oh, this is a thing. Now I'm in perimenopause and I should have been paying attention to this my whole life, but nobody was there to hold space for me or witness me even, right? Witness witness what's been going on. So I do kind of think it's a bit traumatic. And it was set up by the patriarchy. I can feel that so strongly. So it still makes me really sad that so many are still, I can't wait for this to be over. Like that's in my age category. I was like, I just can't wait to be done. So true. I hear this. I hear this all the time. Everyone's on the like countdown for it. And I mean, there's a whole other beautiful state of wisdom that comes from uh, menopause. But uh, I I feel sad for for the people who had, or the women who had only heard that message. I saw this thing while I was away and I didn't have much connection with technology. So I'm not really sure why this like one news story of all the news stories found me. But it was that um, I don't know what organization it is here in North America, but they were following suit on an idea from Scandinavia uh, that companies put forth a paid menstrual leave every month mm. for their employees. And I'm curious with this idea as we explore this, I was like, oh, this is like, this is such an interesting idea. But for this to work, we need to like, we need to bring ideas and compassion and intention to it. What would you want to lend to that conversation? Wow. That's incredible. You know what somebody once told me, I thought this was beautiful to have one person in your team and maybe you do this, but like in different parts of their cycle. So somebody ovulating, somebody menstruating, somebody in their luteal phase, like, and have that, like have that be and see the medicine, the potency of that at the same time. So I, I think about that, about us all being in different phases and honoring each other. I think that's so vital, but that is an amazing revolutionary thing to be, to have some time for that because we are not set up for that. We're not set up for that. Like when we are menstruating and that's our most powerful time, we're still parenting, we're still working, we're still hustling, we're still doing the things. And that is not in alignment with what our body needs, our spirit needs. So I, I would love for that to, sh- to shift. And I see so many people promoting that shift, but I don't know actually know if our system can handle it. It's not sustainable for us just to be by ourselves for five to seven days. You say that out loud and it sounds actually blissful. <laughs> it does. This idea, but you're right. Like, certainly I know my my life would break if I, I did that, which is in part my own, well, many ways, in fact, all the ways my own doing, not even withstanding the broader system. But uh, you're right. We do need the systems to support the intention or none of this, none of these elements, none of these elements work. For individuals who are standing here at the edge of the line of fine, knowing that they can feel glimmers of that medicine within them, really wanting to step into that piece. As a guide standing at the edge of that line of fine with them, what do you want people to know before they embark on that journey? I think right now is a challenging time. I mean, this is what I'm observing after the pandemic times, because especially for mothers who have had young children during this time, I think that there's many that aren't, that just aren't fine, but we're, but society or collectively we're supposed to be fine somehow because it's ending so i really would would encourage well the first thing i saw was like this like compassionate like state of validating where you're where you've been where you're at because that's really important i think that just acknowledging where you're at acknowledging what your capacity is acknowledging how you've been pushed past that probably over the last two and a half years in ways that you never thought was possible and just taking a breath and then you know I think that receiving help thing is a huge part of that. Like, can you build your capacity for receiving? I think that's a big piece because we have such a hard time asking. 
So how much, how much capacity do you have for receiving help right now and support? And how much healing can enter into your system, your cells, your being, your spirit right now? I think those things are really important. But what I'm hearing from my communities right now is like a lot of burnout and a lot of people just feeling a bit lost. So I think that those cycles of like acknowledging the cycle and maybe you're in a long winter cycle, maybe you're in a long fall cycle because things have fallen apart. To have compassion for yourself there, it's really important. Not to say that the spring is not going to come again. It will. But it's something I feel like we need to be talking more about because everybody's been, let's get back to business. And I think that that's been harmful for us. It's just a harmful phrase in general. When people pick up your book, what can they expect? What's on the other Mm -hmm. side of the transformation and experience? My intention really was simple. I wanted people to, I wanted to bring tears to people's eyes and tears when, when tears pop into people's eyes, my experience is that there's a remembering. So there's a remembering of who you are, remembering of your medicine self, a remembering of perhaps some things that are in your DNA, in your bones, in your blood that's floating through, that's coming up to the surface to be acknowledged and witnessed. That's like, it's a very simple intention, but I'd love for tears to spring into people's eyes and like people to feel seen. The other thing is um, to know your belonging because I know a lot of folks don't feel like they belong anywhere. And I hope that it was an invitation to feel like you can root back in and belong to something greater than than just you as a solitary being. Um, and then it goes to the moon cycle. So people are reading it very linearly. They want to read like one per moon, one per full moon. I really wrote it as an oracle. I would love if people just like flick it open. So what do I need today? Look it open, open up. There's the wisdom you need because, again, we're not in the same season and cycle um, as everyone else always. I love that, like, non-linear, uh, non-linear nature. And I relate so much to this this idea of connection. And what you were just describing, uh, when we were away last week, we had um, someone come in and support us with breath work. And he took us into this deep meditation. And in the deep meditation, we had an opportunity to acknowledge and heal our child but what was so interesting for me was at the same time the grandmother version of me was also in this dream and the three of us were just we were just sitting together like healing each other I don't know how else to describe it it was so beautiful and then we finished this and I stood up to speak and then I don't cry in front of people and I wept in front of my practitioner colleagues because I could see all of them having these experiences and it was so profound because I went oh this is this is just the next season of my work as a healer like working with the healers and I always said that was my intention but it was so it was so powerful uh seeing it come to fruition and you know just sharing what you had just said about the book that same intention was was carried with me in this in this process it's really powerful when you lean into this work and you turn off you turn off your brain and you just let your being uh be it it the capacity for manifestation in all elements of your life is really powerful so i agree i just (laughs) wanted to share that um because i felt it i felt what you just said on that same Mm -hmm. energy and on that same experience asha i've got a few questions i want to throw at you i call these i call these my impact ingredients I intend for them to be rapid fire. They always turn into something else, but know that the intention is like, um, we're going to move, we're going to move through them quickly. And my first is what's your biggest non-negotiable in life? Oh, (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I can see what these turn into. What color is your car? No. (laughs) Sleep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Where do you find courage when you can't see it in front of you? For my ancestors. What's your most important failure? Um, Failing organic chemistry. (laughs) So that I couldn't become a naturopath. Classic rite of passage experience, (laughs) organic chem. Mm Mm-hmm. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you learn to cultivate that skill? I think born with it. Yeah, I just, it felt, like, it felt like it was, um, it just felt like it was part of me. Like my medicine was meant to be in the world in this way. What do you do for fun or play? Oh, dance and sing. What is a weird skill? I'm just keep, I'm going to keep going because you're nailing the rapid fire and this is too fun for me. What sort of weird skill or talent do you have that people might not otherwise know? Well, my, my elbows are double jointed, so they can almost flip all the way around. Okay. And have you ever mentioned this on a podcast before? No. Okay. We've got fresh material right here that's happening. Last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? Oh my goodness. I want people to say that everywhere she showed up, her presence made me feel seen. Beautiful. Just want to like hold space for that idea. Asha Frost, where can we send people to pick up a copy of your book, follow along uh, on your journey and continue to resonate with your wise words? So they can go anywhere books are sold. And if they want to download, I have like a free 13 moon ceremony guide. It's youarethemedicinebook.com. They can get that there. And I'd love to see you on Instagram. I'm there probably the most. Amazing. Well, we will hook everyone up in our show notes. You can grab those at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Asha, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact.